This is Because I Said So, parenting advice with love and leadership from the nation's leading parenting expert, John Roseman, syndicated columnist, author, conference speaker, and the only psychologist to point out that psychology has caused more problems than it has solved. From American Family Radio, here's your host, John Roseman. Welcome to the show, folks. Uh, I'm your host, John Roseman, and yes, the show is called Because I Said So. For those of you who are first-time listeners, I am a family psychologist who does not believe in psychology. I think it's uh, largely hogwash, as a matter of fact, and has caused most of the problems that parents are dealing with these days. My contention, in summary, is that if we had never started listening to people like me tell us how to raise children, and we did so back in the 1960s, things would be a lot better. It'd be a lot better for kids, parents, marriages, families, schools, communities in America. I think that psychology has thrown monkey wrench after monkey wrench into American parenting. These, uh, these folks began, you know, these people with capital letters after their names, they began uh, musing and sharing their musings on parenting with the general public around 1965. And I talk a lot about this on the show because I, I really, in my estimation, can't talk about it enough. Uh, we need to disempower psychology in America. We have become a therapeutic culture, and there are people, influential people, in the elite level of government in this country who would like to use a psychology the same way the Soviet Union did as a way of enforcing ideology. Uh, and uh, believe me, this is not a conspiracy theory. This is the absolute truth. And I am one person in this country, uh, and, and not the only person, who is determined to do everything I can to prevent this from happening. We also need to disempower psychology when it comes to the raising of children and uh, stop running to psychologists every time our children do odd, weird things. Fact of the matter is, children do weird, odd things. We seem to have forgotten that. We seem to have forgotten that uh, children do just random things, just like they, they occasionally um, behave in random, strange, embarrassing ways, embarrassing to their parents, that is. They also have random thoughts. They have random thoughts. They have random emotions. Uh, because we've been paying so much attention to psychology over the last 50 years uh, in its application to parenting, today's parents take all this stuff seriously. You know, and a child says something weird and the parents are all up in arms because um, uh, the child has said whatever he said and run to a psychologist. Uh, example of this today, I get an email from the parents of an 11-year-old boy who is happy and does well in school and has friends and, and he's 11 years old. And um, let me put this before I go any further in a, in a biblical perspective. The biblical perspective on a child's feelings is this. Uh, Proverbs twenty two fifteen: foolishness is bound in the heart of the child and the rod of discipline. In other words, the firm application of, of godly assigned parental authority will drive it far from him. The uh, heart, the emotional organ uh, is described in the Bible as deceitful. Uh, Jesus says that all manner of evil comes out of the heart and so on and so forth. It's the, it's the 
the, the place where sin is produced in effect. And um, parents used to understand stuff like this intuitively, if not because they had received a fairly good biblical education in their lives. And so they took uh, the random thoughts that children had that they shared with them and random feelings that children had with a grain of salt. They were discerning. And then along came the 1960s and the parenting meme, one of the many parenting memes that got embedded in American parenting culture in the 1960s was children have a right to express their feelings. Well, no, they don't. Uh, No one has a right to just express any old feeling they have. People who believe they have such a right, a pseudo right, actually, are obnoxious and antisocial. And you've met some of these people. You know exactly what I'm talking about. But, uh, you you know, now instead of taking, uh, instead of viewing a child's emotional output as largely foolishness, and in need of discipline and training, as much as his behavior is in need of discipline and training, we take all this stuff seriously. Um, so anyway, the, this mother writes me today, and she says that her 11-year-old boy, otherwise happy, he has friends, you know, no, no other red flags in his life, uh, used a computer at school to uh, search the word suicide. Well, of course, when you do that in a school today and you use a school computer, it gets recorded. It's probably, you know, the school computer is programmed to uh, to send out an alert to administration when things like this happen. And so the counselor got involved, the principal got involved, and they want to refer the child to a psychologist. And the mother writes me and says, you know, should I do this? Should I, should I take my child to a psychologist? And my answer was, no, don't do that. And I, I, you know, I wanted to just scream like that because here's an example of parents just and, and no criticism intended of this woman, but just not using good common sense. You don't run to a therapist every time your child does something odd. Children are odd. Children are weird. Humans are odd. Humans are weird. And, and and the the younger we are, the odder and weirder we are. And, uh, you know, this kid probably was just curious. Uh, you know, he'd heard the word. He'd heard of somebody who did it, um, who committed suicide, uh, looked it up on the Internet. And uh, anyway, uh, this is an example of this, that 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 it's just it, it's it's difficult to impossible for today's parents to take this stuff with a grain of salt. Uh, they asked their son, these parents, is everything okay? And he said, yeah, I, I just, you know, uh, I decided to look up the word suicide. Well, why'd you do it? Well, kids can't explain them their own behavior very well. And he told his parents he didn't know why he did it, which got them even more upset. You know, I, I put my, my parents in a situation like this and you know, my parents would have been outraged quietly that the school had even made a big deal of this. Now, I understand why schools have to do this today. I really do. Um, today's kids, they are drama factories. 
And the reason they are drama factories is because we have been in America talking to them about every feeling they have for the last 50 years. This is good parenting now. It's your child has a feeling. He comes to you and says, I have a feeling. And you sit down and you talk about it. And what people don't understand and need to understand is that when you talk to a child about his feelings, and I'm not saying across the board you should not do that, but I'm saying you should be discerning and you should do it very, very conservatively. But we have not been doing this conservatively in American parenting for the last 50 years. We have been talking to children about their feelings very liberally. Now, the fact of the matter is that when you talk to a child about a feeling he's having and the conversation is one in which the adult is exploring the child's feeling and asking the child how often you have this feeling and, you know, trying to, quote, unquote, get to the bottom of it, uh, what happens all too often is that the adult unintentionally, and I want to emphasize that word, validates the feeling. And this is hard for people to wrap their brains around, but it is the truth and it's research-based. The more you talk to children about their feelings, the worse the feelings get. Good example, parents come to me and they say, uh, John, my child has a fear. He's afraid of the dark, you know, common childhood fear. He's afraid of the dark, and and uh, it's it's just been getting worse and worse and worse. And I, my my first question: Well, when he expresses this fear, what do you do? And the almost and and this is just an example of what I was talking about previously. The almost invariable answer is: We sit down and we talk to him about it. And we try to explain that, you know, the, 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 there's nothing to be afraid of, that everything in the house is safe, that he may have heard something uh, that happened at somebody else's house, and the chances of it happening, happening here really minimal, and there are no monsters, and so on and so on and so forth. And all of this talking is very, very well-intentioned. But it's why the child's fear has been getting worse. It's a counterintuitive uh, proposition. The more you talk to a child about his feelings, the worse the feelings get. And especially if you're talking about feelings that are odd and strange. And again, children have odd and strange feelings. And once upon a time when a child had an odd and strange feeling, say me in the 1950s, and I went to my mother and I said, Mom, I just had this odd, strange feeling, this odd, strange emotion, this odd, strange thought. I mean, I remember these kinds of things. My mother would say, well, children sometimes have thoughts like that. We don't need to talk about that. Uh, we don't talk about that sort of thing. Um, we're not going to waste everyone's time by talking about that. And you see what, but this is almost bad parenting today to, to take this sort of an approach. But of course, I maintain that that, that is the right way to do it, that 99% of what people were doing in the 1950s and before concerning children, before we began listening to psychologists tell us what we should and shouldn't do as parents, 
those people were doing the right things, and the psychologists have been giving us really, really bad advice for the last 50 years. Anyway, we're coming up on a hard break here, folks. I'll share most of this with you when we get back from our break. Uh, If you want to uh, make a comment, you can go to radio at roseman.com. I'll be back in a few Stay with me. Okay, so we're talking about uh, talking to children about their feelings, and what I'm trying to make a case for here is that we should not be talking to children about their feelings very much at all, and um, because, and this is a research-based statement, this is not my opinion, this is a fact When you talk to children about their feelings, it is almost inevitable that the feelings in question get worse. They get scarier, they get stranger, they get more intense, and so on and so forth. Um, And I believe, I believe, and I am a psychologist, folks. For those of you who are uh, not familiar with the show or me, you can go to my websites, uh, John Rosemond. Dot com that's r o s e m o n d dot com you can go to parentguru.com uh, and find out more about me um, but I, I'm an, you know I'm a psychologist I'm a psychologist licensed by the North Carolina Psychology Board they regret the day they ever gave me a license because I go around the country and I tell the truth that psychology has caused more problems in America than psychologists even know how to solve, number one. Number two, if we had never started listening to psychologists spin their theories about parenting and follow these new parenting pied pipers, we'd be in a lot better shape and America's children would be in a lot better shape as well. Uh, I am convinced that psychology has been a wrecking ball in American parenting. You know, we these psychologists, uh, they began describing this new style of parenting in the 1960s. I call it egalitarian socialist, why can't we all just get along parenting? It presumes that parent and child are equals and that uh, parents should not uh, presume that they have some sort of uh, special claim to authority in the relationship. And this is the kind of stuff that my generation was being propagandized with from all sides in the late 1960s and early 1970s as we began getting married and having children and raising children. And... uh, I talk a lot as I go around the country uh, in my in my role as a public speaker, talking primarily in churches and and schools. I talk a lot about the parenting memes that became embedded in America's parenting culture uh, beginning in the 1960s. And one of these parenting memes was children have a right to express their feelings. 
And the advice that um, the presumption was, let me go to the presumption first. The presumption was that children were not allowed to express their feelings freely before uh, the the uh, immaculate parenting advice of psychologists began being disseminated by the media in America. And that is true. Children were not allowed to express their feelings freely. They were being trained to exercise self-control over the expression of feelings because uh, that is the pro-social proper thing to do, is to exercise good self-control over your feelings. People who do not exercise good self-control over their feelings are antisocial, they're obnoxious, they're strange, they're weird, and you don't want to be around them. And so, yes, uh, speaking as... A child of the 50s who was not allowed to express his feelings freely, that is true, and it was a good thing. Um, but uh, as is the case with every aspect of postmodern, psychological, egalitarian, socialist, permissive, namby-pamby parenting, talking to your kids about their feelings has a good feel to it, doesn't it? Sounds good. You know, you should... You should talk to your children about their feelings. You know, you should be a sensitive, compassionate uh, parent. I mean, that's basically what that says. And it basically says if you don't talk to your children about their feelings, then not only are you avoiding an area of parent responsibility, but this reflects upon your own insensitivity and your own lack of lack of compassion and your own you know, emotional stuntedness and so on and so forth. Um, so th this idea that you should talk to your children about their feelings, it sounds good because it, it sounds therapeutic. And since the 1950s, when most people thought therapists were a bunch of quacks and therapy appealed and people thought therapy appealed to mental weaklings, uh, Americans have come to believe in the goodness of therapy. Uh, never mind that no one has ever proven that any psychological therapy results in reliably positive outcomes. Postmodern America believes in therapy like colonial America believed in bloodletting. And, and believe me, I, I mean, bloodletting is, is, you know, was uh, uh, destructive. It caused infections. It caused death. And, and therapy, in my estimation, is a bunch of hogwash. Do I believe that people with problems of living sometimes need to talk to somebody else to get outside themselves and get another person's point of view and advice? Yes, I absolutely believe that. Do I call that therapy? No, I don't call it therapy. I call it counseling. What sort of paradigm do I believe in when it comes to counseling? I believe in a biblical paradigm. It's called Newthetic or biblical counseling, not Christian psychology. That's a very, very different thing. I've talked about that before on this show. I won't beat that drum today. But there is a big difference between a person who calls himself a Christian psychologist or a Christian therapist and a biblical counselor or a newthetic counselor. But anyway, you know, because we believe in therapy in America today, and because therapy is all about someone helping someone else get in touch with their feelings, 
uh, adults believe today that uh, helping children getting in getting touch with their feelings must be a good thing. But is it? Is it a good thing to help children getting get in touch with their feelings? And the short answer is no. The Bible, God's word, you know, let, let me just remind the audience. When I talk about the Bible, I'm talking about what God has said. The Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And in the Bible, the heart is the organ of emotion. And here we are, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. In other words, the heart deceives its owner and leads its owner to deceive others. Jesus said that all manner of evil comes out of the heart of man. That's Mark chapter 7, verses 21-22. He goes on to enumerate the evil in question, ending his statements with the word foolishness. In other words, the heart produces foolishness, Jesus said, which we are told in Proverbs, the Old Testament, is, quote, bound in the heart of the child. In Romans, Paul refers to the foolish hearts of people who give only lip service to believing in God. In Ephesians, he explains that the old self, the self that existed prior to Christ coming into one's life, is corrupted by deceitful desires. He's clearly referring to the original nature of the human heart, inclined as it is, as Jesus tells us, towards sin. The only conclusion that can be rightly drawn from all this is that a child's heart is deceptive. The child is deceived by his own heart to believe untruths about himself and his actions, and thus the child is able to deceive others. When I am explaining to an audience that one does not need to teach bad behavior, in other words, sin to a child, that sin comes naturally to a child, I point to the fact that as soon as a child learns to talk in sentences, he begins to lie, every single child. And furthermore, uh, the first lie told by every single child who has ever lived is the first lie recorded as having been told, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. She did it. And when God went to her, Genesis chapter 3, you may recall, she passed the buck as well. Children are ruled by their hearts. That, in part, is what is meant by foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. Bound is a powerful word. The way the Bible puts it, foolishness, some translations use the word folly, is virtually imprisoned in the heart of the child. It is the predominant nature of a child's heart. That means further that it can't be coaxed out of its domain. No reward is enticing enough. No single punishment is powerful enough to dislodge and drive it out. Man cannot cure himself of sin, and no man can cure another man of sin. A child can be taught to control his sinful nature. He can be taught to contain it, to think before he acts. But a child cannot cure his own heart. Nowhere does the Bible suggest that parents should talk to children about their feelings. 
In Deuteronomy, parents are told to take every possibility to impress godly character upon their children. I'm paraphrasing. In Ephesians, one finds Paul instructing fathers to bring their children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. If talking to children about their feelings was something important, one would expect God to have at least mentioned it, but he doesn't, which must have a lot to do with the fact that he says the heart is deceptive and the source of all sin. Folks, that's the end of another program. I'm John Roseman, your host. Thanks for staying with us during this 30 minutes. It always goes by too quickly for me. We're on every Saturday, 5 o'clock Central Time, American Family Radio.